When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, and welcome back to Realistic Sustainability. I'm Mike, and I am back a second time in a row with Nick. I know, I know, I know. Stop the presses. We might actually be getting back on a good rhythm, and I'm here for it, and I love it. (laughs) Trying to get as many shows written in advance so that when we get a little window of time, we're ready. Because... I have to prep for it, and you have to be available and ready. I don't even let you know the topics 90% of the time, and by 90, I mean 99% of the time. Yeah, yeah, you can round that down to 90 for sure, because it's definitely true. Um, And it just is the way it is with our schedules right now. But, you know, some very wise words I've lately been trying to, like, preach into my soul. It is what it is, but it is temporary. So it'll get better. Time will be uh, more lucrative later on. Yeah, I feel you. It's uh, it, it weighs on you here and there. I I even considered briefly not doing the show anymore. And my daughter was like, "But dad, you guys have fans." And it, her her little like sad eyes was okay. We'll we'll keep going for now. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I hate to I, I don't hate to say it. I'm actually kind of honored to say that she's right. We do have some fans. Uh, quite often, my phone will go crazy when you're talking to them through the the greening your life Facebook. So I mean, it's it is kind of cool. And um, she's not wrong. It just happens to be that as of right now. You know, we're busy and we just got to do the best we can with what we have and uh, try to push them out. Yeah, I think that's really what it is. It's just the problem is I always worry that we don't take the time to make them good. But so far, the feedback is fantastic. I worry about I, I you and I are both worry warts. It's just how it is. So, yeah, it's true. If it's if, if it's not exactly perfect, it weighs it weighs on our minds even when no one's looking. So far, feedback is good. And matter of fact, we have a listener who just submitted my name to where they work because they do these day of learning exercises where they have people from outside of the organization come into the organization and speak. Uh And one of our listeners submitted me. That's amazing. That is amazing. I got to tell you, like, I'm honored. The feeling about just having someone ask and submitting is, is... Nothing that I've ever thought would happen on what we're doing here. Well, I mean, hopefully the fact that people are printing us and are, are reaching out to you to speak and do stuff like this shows the impact we actually are having. So it's it's not it's not a bad thing, Mike. It's a good thing. It is. And it's just one of those warm fuzzies. Like someone feels that they're getting enough value to where they've gone to work and said, hey, we want to listen to this guy. And who would have ever thought? In my life, that people would have, would just want to hear me talk. Because I got to tell you, I have parents who would find that very, very weird. Because as a kid, that's all I did was speak. <laughs> you know, I have found, as I've gotten older, and I just had something, not necessarily along these lines, but um, something that's pleasantly surprising online, uh, that even though that when we were younger, we, we talked a lot and, and 
And sometimes we said things that were stupid or other times where maybe we were know-it-alls and we probably kind of were annoying. We were just kids. Kids are annoying. It's just kind of the nature of growing up. You know, you, you, you are the way you are. And then as you, as you get older, you learn things and it influences who you become. And the fact that people want to hear you talk is, well, for starters, it, it, it's, it's an honor, but the fact that you often have something to say is, is re- remarkable because a lot of people talk all the time and they don't have nothing to say. So I think that it's a an opportunity that should be seized upon every time. Every time someone's willing to listen, you should say something worth listening to. Well, so I figure I'm going to take this opportunity just to say thank you to everybody because you know, Nick and I are human and we go through our ups and downs, but getting messages and people sending, you know, little funnies or, Hey, I made this change. It does brighten up our day. You know, the fact that someone gets a hold of us and says, you know, I just submitted your name for a day of learning at my company. It made my day better. And I just want to say, first of all, thank you. Second of all, when it comes to like edible landscape project and some of these sustainability things, if, anyone has an organization that would like me to speak at, I'm open to it. So I'm trying to get this out more, even though here in Michigan, we just got about an inch of snow that stayed on the ground. Happy April. I have all these plants started and what yesterday looked like was a blizzard, but we, it it will get there. So I want to spread the edible landscape project as far as I can. Absolutely. And yeah, the weather sucked, man. It was like, so I was having this conversation yesterday. I love winter in the middle of winter. Like I hate driving it, but I love looking out and seeing all the pine trees covered in snow and it's like a Coca-Cola commercial. It's beautiful. But like when you wake up and it's like 60 degrees and the sun is shining and your chickens are clucking and breezy. And then like five minutes later, the temperature plummets and it starts to snow. I mean, it's pure Michigan. It's a Tim Allen commercial, but it's just not it's not what I want to see in the middle of April. I know that we get snow in April, but I'd really like to see some sunshine. Yeah, definitely. You know, <laughs> I, I won't say that I generally have like that seasonal depression type thing. But yesterday I was just crotchety. Like the moment I looked out the window the whole day, I was just crotchety. It is. Uh, I will try to say this without swearing because it, it, it's a WTF moment. I really I, yeah, I'm not I'm not seasonally depressed, but I was I was circumstantially frustrated because I was like, really? I mean, really? Not that mm. not that I was planning on doing any yard work or anything. I just it was gross. <laughs> it was terrible. The whole thing. You let the dog out. He slid off the deck like he wasn't even expecting it. <laughs> yeah. Every time every time I open the front door, it's like the wind punched me in the face. And because of the way our, our porch is set up the eaves trough right of the over the porch is it's currently full so like if it rains or snows it just pours off right in the back of your head which is disgusting and so like i was letting the dog out and because it was snowing but the house was still so warm and and nothing was really sticking to my yard i let her out and i get like a shower oh my gosh it was gross (laughs) yeah so it's been interesting another thing how was your easter we had like multiple easters that Every time we sat down to do something at anyone's house, my brain immediately went back to our show and I could just watch it all happen. So to be fair, I didn't do anything for Easter and it was beautiful. So I know there were there were lots of people that invited us to go out and do stuff. And we had just did the sampling on Saturday and it kicked my hind end. And so when Easter Sunday rolled around, we got up the heavy was like, what do you want to do today? And I, we had all these people who were invited. I was like, honestly, I really don't want to do 
anything. Okay. Not that I, I sat in one spot and didn't move, but I mean, like, I didn't want to go, I didn't want to run the roads and it wasn't anything personal against anyone. And I know that that's not a, a fair mentality and I'm sure it hurts people's feelings and it wasn't intended to, I just needed time to decompress. I needed time to relax, to take a breath and just, just to be me. And it, it, it sounds silly, but I don't always get that. So it was uh, it, for me, it was wonderful. I had a great day. It was good. That's the best. I, I see that you guys went over to our sister's house. It looked like a lot of fun. Yeah, we uh, ended up actually having multiple holiday dinners. We went to our sister's house there for a few hours and was able to hang out and see some people. And then we went from there uh, to the other back to our side of town to Jamie's mom's and stepfather's where we had a whole nother get together. So it was for us a day of gatherings and a day of seeing people, which is always nice. And the weather wasn't terrible. The sun was out. It was chilly, but it was still a decent day. Kids enjoyed running around looking for eggs and all the, all the normal stuff. Mm -hmm. So it, it, well, it wasn't a bad day. It was nice. It was nice to see everybody. I I'm sure it was one of the, the, the highlights I had was we had paid, um, there's just honestly, Mike, I don't remember who who's doing it. Some fundraiser where they you can pay them to like go to someone's house and egg bomb them, uh, which really just means they hide Easter eggs all over the property. And so if my one of my coworkers has got a three year old little girl, so we paid to have them do that. So at like maybe noon or one o'clock, we get tagged in a video on Facebook and she finally figured out that it was us that did that. So she tagged us in a <laughs> um she sent us a video of her daughter looking for the eggs and it was precious and it was really cute. It was nice to see like some innocence and and, and to see someone that just enjoys the idea of Easter. Because uh, I, of all the holidays, Easter has been like extra useless for me. Like I've never really had anything. I mean, obviously, I was a kid, I got stuff, but like as far as they go, I don't really have any use for it. So, um, it was nice though to see that. It was really, really heartwarming. Well, excellent. Well, this week during the show, I wanted to, and this has nothing to do with our food conversation that we had yesterday, but it, it stems from. In my household, watching everybody try to throw away the heels of the bread. <laughs> and it, it, I wanted to take a look at some of the common food waste. We did a, a whole food waste episode season one, but I think that we have to revisit some of these, even if it's just under different categories. Uh, mm-hmm. we, we did kind of a global food waste in season one. So if anybody hasn't listened to that, go all the way back a couple years it's a pretty good episode it was one of our more popular ones this i want to look at like what is wasted in a normal household and why because i have no idea why my children believe that the ends of the bread aren't bread so for entertainment purposes i google it and apparently most american households throw away the heels of bread it's just not bread to them it's just i don't know i get it it's crust but crust is on the whole bread And But that was one of the things, like, immediately the bag comes down, we have our bread in there, they take out all the pieces, and they leave both heels in the bag, wrap it up, and throw it in the trash. And a a lot of people do that, and I'm not just saying us, because there's a ton. Oh, I actually think, no, you're right, most people do it. I think that that comes from... I'm trying to think how to word this. So when you grow up, let's say you grow up and you're kind of a, lit, a middle to low income household. Money's tight enough to where you don't waste things like bread and stuff like that. So maybe when you're young, you're really young and your parents make you eat the heels because they can't, they don't want it wasted because they're paying the bills. And then when you get older, you become the parent. You go, you know what? I can afford to throw that three cents away. And they don't do it. 
They, they don't they don't eat it because a lot of people don't like there's you know how many adults I know that cut their crust off their grilled cheese sandwich. <laughs> Why? I'm not sure. I think because the texture is different and they can't handle more than one texture with their melted cheese. I, I have no idea. And the reason that it annoys me so much, A, it's wasteful, B, it's delicious. But C, when it comes to standardized store-bought white bread, by the time you cut the crust off, you don't have a sandwich. You have a you have a crouton. Like there's nothing left. And so it it's really infuriating. But I really think it's just like, you know, when you as a kid you had to deal with something because an adult, you're like, I don't gotta deal with that anymore. So they just don't do it. So I wonder if you've just kicked a bee's nest so if anybody cuts your crust off of your sandwiches off your toast let us know why because i've never done it i've never seen a reason to to me it's just a slightly thicker piece of bread it's not like when you travel to italy where the crust is this armored covering that protects the super soft bread inside not in the united states in the united states it's really not much different well, the, than the bread it, itself it's not see here's the thing though you can't compare like the real artisan bread like homemade real organic bread of italy to store-bought crap that comes pre-sliced in a bag because a that's hardly bread it's garbage but b like the stuff that is the rule hard crust means warm means yummy sorry hard thick crust means like a soft bread on the inside that's how you know a loaf of bread is good like when it comes out of the oven, you got that real hard, like almost so you can knock on it crust and then you cut it open and you got that pillowy soft goodness on the inside. Like that's the way bread is supposed to be. I personally do not care for store-bought bread. Now I will eat it. I'm not like saying I don't eat it. Obviously anyone that has seen me knows I eat anything that doesn't eat me first, but if I come home and it's all there is, I'll eat a sandwich for sure. But I prefer like a big, like a big Italian loaf or a nice piece of ciabatta or like a real big thick piece of rye. Rye is my guilty pleasure. I love rye bread. Sorry, I, I, I like bread. I could talk about it for a long time. It's delicious. <laughs> well, I didn't really learn to like real bread until I traveled because you can't get a loaf of what is that soft bread or soft white bread. Now, when I get that stuff, it tastes like flour. It has this weird taste. It squishes to, it's not the same as real bread. So I've started liking real bread. And by the way, when he talks about that hard shell on the outside of Italian bread, that's why in movies they have it sticking out of the top because I think it's an easy weapon. If someone comes to steal the groceries, you are fully armed with what is like concrete that you could hit someone with, but it is the most delicious bread you'll ever have. I, I, yeah, they're definitely hard, but I think part of that, is, I shouldn't say part of that, but one of the uses of that, if you will, that crust is that like store-bought bread, it, A, it comes pre-sliced, but there's not really any crust, so you have to keep it bagged up and sealed, otherwise it gets stale. Like the old school, like the, the real bread, as long as it's not sliced, that whole thing could sit on your counter for a week and it's fine. So you cut it open like that, that, that barrier helps keep the moisture in and the excess moisture out and vice versa. So it it's by design. I mean, it's a better product and they're super tasty. My God, they're so good. Well, and the kids have gotten used to the sliced bread and it's not good. It doesn't taste good. It It is a vehicle to take other taste and put it in your mouth <laughs> that's why i don't understand why they want to th- always throw away the crust ends the heels because when i make garlic bread for for example i use a a small loaf of bread so from the delis mm-hmm. and i cut it up and make my own there's heels on that 
and I put the garlic on it, and I put the butter on it, and I put a little cheese on it, and they eat those. Yeah, but, but you they can't... don't. They don't eat the heels of the sliced bread. Yeah, but you can't really compare that. I mean, it's like okay, so if you took if you took the loaf of bread you buy and just sliced off the heel, are they going to eat that? No, they're not because that's all it is. Like it's just it's literally just the heel. Like there's no bread attached to the heel in those bags. If there is, it's barely white. It's paper thin. It's flimsy. If you can even make a sandwich out of it without it falling apart, you're doing pretty good. I I'm not justifying throwing it away, but I, I'm not going to sit there and, and try to like make a kid eat it just because a kids are super picky and. I don't even want to eat it. I do because I have to pay for it, but I, I can't stand this store-bought stuff. Apparently 140 million slices are tossed out yearly. Yeah, probably. I mean, it's not uncommon. People will buy a loaf, they'll eat two or three sandwiches out of it, but unless you got a big family, the rest goes to waste. Well, and I, I, see, and I think the store-bought bread, it lasts a long time because it, it feels like it has a lot of preservatives in it, where if I buy a artisan loaf, you better get on it. You've only got a few days to to eat it you know so i i'll plan several things so we're, we're gonna have wonderful sandwiches today tomorrow i'm gonna make some garlic bread that's gonna go with this pasta and on the last day if there's some left then maybe we'll have soup and have it with it but 240 million slices a year of bread when i mean there's times right now because of supply chains there's not a huge selection of bread always available but yet we still waste. It's interesting to see how things didn't change through COVID. Well, that that but here's the thing though is that the, that's the reason people couldn't find things through COVID is because people were afraid of things changing. So they had to stock up, make sure they could live their life as unscratched, unscathed as possible. Well, here to be fair, I'm going to pause that and wind, rewind that back. Uh, you just kind of discovered the whole way people are supposed to eat. You buy something, use it until it's gone, and you move on. Like what you do with bread is how people should be doing everything. Like I hate to say it, but people's eating habits, especially with their own food and groceries, sucks in this country. It's actually it's absolutely terrible. It's like if you go to the store and you like actually no, I can't even say that because most people aren't gonna go to the store and buy a whole chicken. But like you can go to the store and buy a whole chicken. Okay, so let's say the first day you cut it up into pieces and let's say you bake something, you bake chicken, great. Well then the next day you're pulling the rest of the meat off and you're making like enchiladas or tacos. That's great. Then like the next day you take the bones and boil them for soup. Like you use everything you can when you get a something that's you know it's worth using. Like that bread, like the the, the beautiful Italian loaf, or it could be a French baguette, it doesn't matter. Like you use it until it's gone. Like for me, I'm a my family loves croutons. So about the time that bread becomes too stale to really eat as bread, it gets sliced, diced, oiled, and baked. We're having a salad because we've got croutons from heaven. And yeah, salad is the uh the 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 vessel that I eat my croutons. It's the best way I could put that because they are delicious. But or breadcrumbs. You could make breadcrumbs out of them. That is such a pain in the butt. <laughs> Why? <laughs> like, okay, so what, Michael, what do you use breadcrumbs for? I tend to use breadcrumbs for coating meats. Okay, so frying food, which, yep. you know, is delicious. Uh, how many loaves of bread do you think it would take worth of breadcrumbs just to bread and fry like if you were gonna shake and make like five pork chops out of curiosity <laughs> do you think you could do it with a loaf of bread because i don't yeah i well and i don't know because i anytime i the twice the two times that i've actually made breadcrumbs out of something that was stale was i just mixed it in with my existing breadcrumbs that i had already had or bought so, yeah, so I, I don't know 
So to make breadcrumbs effectively, I mean, to really use them and get the same effect you would buy in the store-bought ones, you have to take your bread, you have to toast your bread, you have to let your bread cool off, then you have to crush it, then run it through a food processor, then run it through a sieve, and then you have your breadcrumbs. And that's fine, and it works good. I mean, it's a great if you have a ton, like if you have a ton of those heels, throw them in your freezer, save them up. You know, when you get a huge bag of them, make some breadcrumbs. I just think if I could, I could make breadcrumbs or I can make croutons. I'm going towards croutons. Nah, gotcha. I can eat them now. Well, I want to go back and rewind a little bit to something you said about how we should be eating and how that you pick something and you have three or four meals from it. Like you said, that chicken. My brother-in-law just reminded me about a Netflix series that I love. It's called Down to Earth with Zac Efron. And I always thought Zach Efron was like the teeny bopper. <laughs> so I never really paid attention to who he is, even as a person. Turns out, hell of a person. Turns out to be one of those people who ended up famous and is trying to find good ways to use it. And he goes around the world looking at sustainability factors, looking at problems and trying to solve them and all these wonderful things. And one of the things they did is they went to this restaurant where and you can tell it was a very high-end very expensive restaurant where they were being served by themselves because the tv crew is there and stuff but it was in iceland and it was reindeer and the chef was standing in front of them putting it all together and said i you know basically i hunted this reindeer we're only allowed one per however long I had to kill it. I had to carry it back. I had, and he goes, so this thing was carried back on my sled all the way here, which is not easy. So I will not waste one ounce of this creature. So every tiny bit of that reindeer will be used over the next year. Yep. And that's just the philosophy that they have there, that if you're going to kill this creature, every tiny scrap will get used. And every time I do research on food waste in the United States, it's it's sad. We waste more than we eat, for sure. Well, yeah, I believe the last episode we did this, you had said 40% of all food in this country gets wasted. And at least that's the number that we had talked about. And and I still don't think it's accurate. I still think it's more because people don't really pay attention to the notion that no one else really, really knows how to cook. They think they do, but they don't. Like inherently as a civilization, our survival skills are pitiful and terrible. Not that we need to be like, you know, people that live off the, off the grid and off the, off the world. But all I'm saying is that like, okay, so if I said, hey, make me some soup. I want some soup. How are you going to make the soup? Like, how? Right. Michael, how if, are you making soup? If Tell I'm making how. if I'm making soup, there's a couple of different ways that my gourmet cooking style is, is brought to the table. One is a preset packet that you dump in water. That one I go to quite often if I want a broccoli and cheese soup. It is a powder that I've dumped into the water, and it's like magic. It creates broccoli and cheese soup. The other one is if I'm really feeling like I'm going to get, I'm going to make something homemade. And remember, everybody, I am not a good cook. I will then get a, you know, a chicken base instead of using the cookings from a chicken (laughs) that I'm using the leftovers for. I will throw the little sand cube into the water until it makes what looks to be flavored water okay so what you're talking about is actually bullion it's not base it is a little different um but 
base bullion i mean yeah you can make good soup with that you really can i'm not saying you can't but like in a make-believe world where they don't exist or like in a post-apocalyptic world um where you can't get access to that stuff because it takes a lot a lot of processing to produce it yeah um how do you make soup well the unfriendly version is you got to roast and then boil the bones soup the broth comes from the marrow of the bone so see and jamie can do that jamie's mom can do that i i open a can of sodium because i know it's i know it says soup but i think they just misspell sodium i and and pour it into a bowl and then there's my soup but you're right soup i think is one of those arts (laughs) it's the art of using what's left and jamie can make some excellent soups i on the other hand i have not i um Okay, in all fairness, I, I don't really like soup. I eat it. There are some soups I like more than others. But there's very, very seldom a time. Like, you know what sounds good today? A nice hot bowl of soup. I I don't really, I just don't get hungry for it. I think for me, soup is like the American equivalent of quiche. It's like a garbage food. It's what you make when you, you use up a lot of leftovers in your fridge. Um, and you don't really know what to do with it. So in France, they make quiche. In America, we make soup. We just boil some water and chuck a bunch of crap in there. Um, and it can be delicious. Uh, I make, uh, or I shouldn't say make, I made a couple last year that were just kind of like, they stood out way better than the rest. Uh, I do a, I did a tomato bisque with um, pulled pork and uh, roasted corn in it, and it was fantastic. Like, it was really good. Um, like, so good. I took a bite, went, wow. <laughs> I just stared at my bowl. Heather's like, what? And I was like, this is this should be on a menu somewhere like oh my god um but generally it's not always the case and the reason i asked about that though is because people don't really know how to really cook not from scratch not like grandma style cooking so they don't really have as much like thought into the way they shop they most people are name brand people if you're a name brand person that means you don't know how to do anything from scratch like legit if you have a certain brand that makes it the way you like it that means you don't know how to make it and that sounds judgmental, and it, I guess it is to some degree. And I'm sure that not every single person that's true for, but um, it it kind of is a life skill. And I'm not saying you have to do it all the time. I'm not saying you have to like to do it. I hate canning. I still own a canner and know how. I think that if people spent more time, you know, maybe living a little more farm to table, you buying less stuff and, and growing their own vegetables, learning how to make the most out of those, maybe raising chickens once or twice, learning how to make the most out of that maybe they would do a little better with their shopping and their their budgeting and their and their wasting. Also though, have you ever noticed someone's house that spends like three to four hundred dollars every couple of weeks on groceries and there's five people in that home? Like what are they buying? Like how much could you possibly eat? I'm a big guy and I can't eat that much. Right. It just means a lot of it's going out the back door into the trash. Or it's a tremendous amount of things like granola bars and chips and junk food that just sits in a pantry until someone decides maybe they want it or when it gets real close to time to be, you know, expire, gets donated to a food bank. Yeah. And that was one of the common themes that I saw in that Zach Efron show, that series, which I'm excited. There's going to be a season two. I wish they were coming to the edible landscape as part of it, but it's not quite as cool as like Iceland or Paris. I think uh, <laughs> that's the show where they did an episode on like carbon capture yeah. in the Arctic. That was yep. a cool show. It, it's just, I forgot that I had watched it in 2000, I think in 19 actually. Yeah. And my brother-in-law asked if I had seen it and it's been so long. So I just rewatched them again and I'll probably do it again here shortly just because I really enjoyed the series. But 
that was a common theme was good food came from your neighborhood that in um, Sarnia, this is a place on the planet where there's more people who live to be a hundred or greater than it, than really anywhere else in the world. And it was primarily, you know, they have an active lifestyle. There's very, very little driving. You're walking from place to place. Uh, and they're eating food created on on the spot. They made their own noodles. You know, they made their own food out of what they had from local sources. And it it really does tell you that they're living a healthier lifestyle. Now, the, the old gentleman that they interview makes a joke about he drink he walks every day to the bar. You know, so he has these huge amount of steps. He travels a great distance. He has one glass of wine and he heads back home, you know, but he's living to be a hundred plus. I'll be happy to get into my sixties. I lost your sound. You have no sound. How about now? You do. I'm sorry, folks. The technical difficulty, my fat tummy pushed the mute button on my microphone and Mike couldn't <laughs> hear me. What I was trying to say before uh, my stomach told me not to is that there's a big problem uh, with our, our, I guess to say, a culture here, and that we lost the joy of food, the passion, the, the the connection that comes with it from nature, and the one of, if not my all-time favorite, like celebrity chef, if you will, the guy that I still, at the age of 35, would pee like a schoolgirl if I ever met. His name is Marco Pirawhite, and um, he. He says that uh, the, the things that he he wants to see that he believes will tell the world if you're a good chef is that one you you respect and understand that Mother Nature is the real artist and you're just trying to present it as beautifully as possible. And then the other thing is that he wants to see cooks that put themselves on the plate. He wants to know where you're from by eating your food. Those two things ring true for me because I think that there's a lot of a lot of opportunities in our lives that we miss out on. Like you were talking about the reindeer and like in Sarnia, the guy that walks for the wine and stuff. It, it, when you, when you appreciate nature and you utilize it for all of what it can give you and you don't waste it and you don't bastardize it with these nasty processed foods and terrible things, even like soup bases, because, you know, I mean, soup base is better than canned, but not by much. You, you're missing out on it. And I think that if you reconnect with the way you eat and that culture and that passion, you enjoy life a lot more. Like it's one of those things, enjoy the simple things in life. Simple things in life are free. Good food may not be free, but the skills to learn it are. I mean, it's not, it doesn't take long to learn how to like make good soup or to learn how to utilize. Well, I guess it does take a while to learn how to hunt and utilize animals. So we'll, we'll leave that one out because uh, I'm not going to go that episode where I mandate and, and, push people to go out and kill deer so well but you have here's the deal like i'm not going to go hunting i've never been a hunter i can fish i can i can do things if i have to i don't and everybody who knows me knows that i'm an advocate for technology you know i one time got into the conversation because uh, our father was picking on my son because he couldn't fish and i asked dad to make a wagon wheel you know, his grandfather would be very upset if he could not make a wagon wheel. Well, why would our Sometimes. father think on anyone about not being able to fish? <laughs> it, it happened. So, Because that he played too many video games or he, he was good with computers but not outside. That's funny because our dad was raised in the city and drag raced and never – he wouldn't even know how to put a hook on a line. So, But sometimes things – 
are not necessary. So I, it is not necessary for any of us to go out and kill a deer, process it, and use every piece of it. But for people like myself, I can go to those who do. I can change some of these things. I'm, I'm getting better at reducing my meat intake. I've started to get better at eating less of that. And it's easier in the summer because we have all these vegetables throughout town. But I've gotten better at making meals that feed the family and not the family for four days. So I, sh- I should be able to start going to places that that either capture or grow their own meat in a, in a sense and be able to buy less, probably for the same amount of money or slightly more, and use it in better ways. I'm just not quite there yet um i think that i think that it's not as hard to get there as people think it is like don't like i said i'm not i'm not gonna sit here and recommend people go, go become hunters i'm not saying any of that but and like i love to fish but i don't i'm not a fisherman for for a source of food i love to fish for the sport of it but i, I let everything go I, i'm not i don't have it in me to kill things i just don't it's um i don't know how to describe it i'm all about cooking it when it's dead but <laughs> i can't be the one to do it I, I think that part of the reason that um like you were talking about the, that that chef with the reindeer and stuff like he's a, he has a restaurant so it's easy to utilize an entire giant animal you know part of the problem we run into with the food cultures that our, our communities are so big that um it it's not practical for one person to adopt that lifestyle and he's not trying to feed the communities he's feeding his home we really really should have went the opposite way with our with our lives you know it would make more sense if like small towns had a butcher and they raised their own cattle and the town came there to get their meat but we don't have that anymore those are lost trades almost like they're not as common as they used to be and like now everyone's got friends that are hunters if you live here in michigan like everyone knows a half dozen hunters you probably probably have a ton of them in your family don't even realize it so like venison is not hard to get so and, and that also helps out though, because when you, when you do kill an animal and you take, you know, you, you process it, uh, that's a lot of food and not to say that you won't use it over the course of a year, but I mean, it's a lot easier if you have people that you can give it to the animal still gets used and not wasted. And, uh, you you can go do it again next year. if you like the sport of it. So it, I mean, it works out. Well, and I know we, I started this conversation off on bread heels cause I watched the kids and family do it over and over again, but. When I started pulling the numbers for for basic U.S. households, milk, which I don't have that problem in our house, uh, and I get torn about milk because it's a it's a sugary drink now. It is not it is not what they've always advertised it. And let's be honest, it's not something that most humans would drink on a regular basis. So there's a side of people who say humans shouldn't drink milk. They you know they weren't designed to. They can't digest it correctly. And on the other side, I look at nature and say, nature is give me calories. (laughs) It doesn't really matter what it is. Nature looks for calories. But Jamie drinks, like, it used to be I could get a quarter or a half uh, gallon, put it in the fridge, use it for cooking, use it occasionally for different things, and it would go bad. And apparently that's pretty common because 5.9 million glasses of milk are dumped out every year. But with my, with Jameson there, everybody is now drinking milk. Like I go through two or three gallons a week now. Okay. So I am not a fan of milk at all. I love 
fresh milk from the cow, like straight off the farm. I absolutely love it. It is a different taste. It's, it's fattier. It's richer. It's it's fantastic. Uh, I I do not care at all for regular milk out of a gallon. I mean, I use it if I have to in coffee. I will utilize it, stuff like that, but I'm not a big fan of it because, you know, you're actually right. It's not meant for us. It's not good for us. One of, like, one of the superpowers of being human is that we're, like, super adaptable. We're not good at... We're not good at preventing problems, but we're really good at adapting to it and fixing it once it happens. And so when it comes to milk, like milk is, you know, it's taken from the cow. It's put in these giant tankers and they're driven to the processing facilities where they, they pasteurize it and they pump it full of sugar. So it tastes like they think it should. And it will last, I don't know, two or three weeks in your fridge. Uh, one of the big things I can't emphasize enough is people are more content wasting what they don't need than finding themselves wanting what they don't have. They treat every single, you know, the, the rule about having a gun, it's better to have it and not need it than to need it and not have it. They treat everything in their house like that. And for things that don't have an expiration date, that makes sense. But like, like a gallon of milk, a gallon, 128 fluid ounces of milk. Like right. you're not feed you're, you're not feeding five people, six people on a daily basis with it, whether you're making it in soup or using it, you know, to make sauces or you're just making cereal in the morning. Like it doesn't really last as long as you think it does. And you're going to waste more than you're going to use. Yeah. Well, and for, like I said, our household is a little bit different because I think Jamie grew up drinking a lot of milk and she, she enjoys it. She drinks it as a beverage, but so one of the other things I, I learned recently and i did not know this is another value to getting your resources closer and i'm glad i'm glad i know this now because it's going to be put into the edible landscape project as a fact is that your fruits and vegetables that we pick lose 30 percent of their nutrients after three days so when we pick something and transfer it it's immediately starting to lose nutrients as it tries to survive, as it tries to ripen. Because really what it's trying to do is stay alive long enough for those seeds to <laughs> to be viable. It wants to survive. It wants to reproduce just as much. So we lose a lot of the nutrients even before it gets into a box and heads our way. Okay, well, to be fair, um, produce that gets into a box and heads your way it comes from like Mexico and other places where it's warm enough to grow it year round and there is no nutrients. It's, it's literally like eating solid water. It's terrible for you. Also, there's no flavor. But yeah, no, you're effectively to put a, a twisted you know, view on this. Ripping a, a vegetable or a piece of fruit off its stem is like, you know, ripping the umbilical cord off a baby. The moment you do it, that piece of produce is dying. So how how long are you going to let it die? So I say that because when things die, they get the ripeness, which just means they're the optimal version of edible. And then if you let that continue, like you take green tomatoes, throw them on your windowsill, um, they're not ripening, they're dying. They're going from green, which is like, you know, where they're packed full of nutrients and trying to mature and they're getting softer and softer. And eventually if you let that continue, turns into rot and decays. So the seeds can be released and things will eat it. And then, the, mm-hmm. you know, life goes on. So, I wouldn't even say like I'm I'm a big advocate of like buying as you need with that kind of stuff. You always people complain that that shopping for for healthy food is so much more expensive because you know it doesn't last as long. Well, don't buy as much. Shop more often. Buy less. Well, but you see, here's another thing. You find yourself 
I can kind of say when it comes to fruits and vegetables, I live in a food desert. Now, during the summertime, that's certainly not true because I have food everywhere because we planted it. But our local supermarket has a very small produce section. It is usually not as vibrant as you see in other shops or stores. It's always a few days behind, you know, so if you get something, you better use it that day kind of thing. And it's not like being near a Horrocks. It's not like being somewhere where you can get fresh, crisp, delicious, locally sourced produce every single day, which makes it challenging. I don't want to go to this local supermarket and get a subpar head of lettuce. I want to go to Horrocks, but Horrocks is 40 minutes away. We don't have enough local places. When I pick kids up in Flint for STEM and we drive all the way to Ann Arbor for field trips, when I'm out there, their food comes not from a supermarket. It comes from a corner store. And you'll be lucky to find a basket of apples. And there isn't enough of that fresh availability. Well, there's not because I'm going to get really preachy on this kind of stuff. This stuff is not meant to be fresh, available year-round. It's seasonal for a reason. Now, I'm a little shocked to hear about um, the lack of selection at your riverside because I, too, live near the other riverside. And we have a huge produce section here. Like, it's half the store. (laughs) Yeah, it is not. It's a corner. It's a small corner at best. I, I, yeah, I don't really know. I think that last time I was out there when you and I went and got chips or something was the first time I'd been into that riverside. It's very different. It's very, very different. The one of Montrose is far bigger. Actually, it's really big for how small of a town I live in, but that's a whole nother story. I, I think that we're talking about food waste. It kind of goes hand in hand with this kind of stuff. You're talking about like fresh and local ingredients. Well, the problem with that is that like, so they're, they're, they're meant to be edible seasonally. So like this goes back to the lack of um like food culture. People don't can, they don't know how to keep what they have. And not that you're not going to have fresh carrots in the middle of winter, but if you had canned carrots that you got or grow grew, sorry, my apologies that you grew fresh in the proper season, it would be better than going to the store and buying the canned stuff there. That's mostly salt and water. It's not, it's, there's no flavor. I, I can't stand canned carrots in the store, but I, I, I don't think for a moment that there's any type of um way right now to, to convince the public that they should change the way they do things, especially when you're right. Most small communities have like, it's like a convenience store that sells food. So it would like, if they do have an apple, it'd be like one, it'd be $3 and it'll be bruised sitting in a basket by the register. They don't have anything that's really good for you. It's always cr- easy to cook crap like ramen noodles and stuff that's dirt cheap. It lasts forever on a shelf and, and is packed full of calories. Did you know one pack of ramen noodles is like 200 and I think it's 270 calories or it's 190, but it doesn't really matter because the average person eats two to three packs at a time. So and it's like it's water and salt. And there's so many preservatives in that seasoning packet. That's ridiculous. Yeah, it. I don't know. It, the more I watch, and I get on these cycles, like I again that Zach Efron on Netflix, that uh, Down to Earth. I start watching that stuff and going, man, I am screwing this up. I'm screwing it up again. I get distracted with life. We start buying frozen meals to speed up dinner time, and it is terrible. <laughs> it is absolutely terrible, and I have to restructure or find the time to do it right. Uh, I also, it makes me want to plant twice as many plants throughout the town this year. So as a quick update, Jeff 
Jeff has secured more property here in town. There's a couple of spots that are considered useless property that the city owns. And Councilman Jeff has gotten those allocated to edible landscape. So last year I had just under 200 plants and we did about three to 400 pounds. The goal is to get at least 400 plants in the ground separate from a separate pumpkin patch and a separate uh, watermelon patch. Okay, so, so, like, so cucumbers, tomatoes, that kind of stuff. Yep, yep. So really we're looking at somewhere around 1,000 pounds of fresh fruits, fruits and vegetables. We're going to put up more trees. We have those seven fruit trees that were planted last year. We're going to do another seven and another cluster somewhere else. And we will be able to continue. Another thing we were looking at now is getting grapes and putting them on fence lines for like the home run fence at the at the baseball diamond. So that year over year, that can do its own thing. And it can get bigger and bigger and bigger over, over time. I really feel that it is our job to turn this town into a food jungle. Because it really is. And it isn't going to hurt the supermarket. Because they're just going to shift away from you know, having quite as many cucumbers and tomatoes to having more pineapples and they'll have more avocados. But here's the deal. Very few people who shop at that supermarket are going to go out and pick this food anyways. This is going to be others who maybe are more challenged in getting it. I don't think that there's ever any true concern, actual, I mean, viable problem with the idea that that, that the supermarket's going to be hindered or hurt by that of a landscaping that just sounds like a straw man argument it sounds like something that people just say to shift it into a different direction without any like data behind it hey there's never been something like this so it, it's not like it. there's a lot of other examples to look to for you know clarity but also and this is the important part if if you're growing locally sourced beautiful vegetables and fruits and herbs and flowers and all the stuff that can be used in food or just food in general you want people to pick it you're 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 influencing better eating habits you're influencing better health and wellness in your community and if if the grocery store has a problem with that if it's hurting their sales that much through their corner of whatever you want to call it that they have then maybe they should look at a different business model. Maybe they should shift their focus somewhere else. I'm a big advocate of doing what's best for the community. And that edible landscaping is what's best. I, people can disagree. They're just disagreeing out of ignorance. They don't really know, but it's it's definitely something I think should be, should be pursued further. And it's had a wonderful reception. I can't wait to see where it goes. Well, in year one was kind of the shock and awe of it all. Year two, <laughs> <laughs> year two. Yeah, I know. Year two will be the sustainability of it. So everybody looked at it and went, holy crap, that actually worked. And I'm followed by mayors from other towns. I'm followed by you know, city officials from other cities. They're waiting to see it implode, honestly, is what I truly believe, because they're not taking action to do it. So they're waiting to see what the negatives are. It's their research. And in my head, they're waiting to see it implode. So they can go, okay, that's why we weren't, that's why we didn't do it. But as, as more years happen, it that goes away. Well, no, I think the people being negative, they're just negative. People hear what they don't understand. I went like 20 episodes without saying that, so I don't want to hear it. Um, <laughs> and they don't understand things that are new. <laughs> and new is scary. So with that being said, there's no conceivable way that it can implode. Now, there is a, a huge disconnect that could happen 
with like leadership and and not you know, putting the right people in the right places. But that is a lack of management, which I don't think it's going to happen. I'm just saying like that would be if it was going to implode, that's what could happen. But really, you're going to start plants, plant plants. People are going to come pick food. The rest is nature. Like, yeah, maybe you'll do some weeding. Maybe you'll put them in a dry space where you have to water them. But like you, that, the it grows itself. Nature does that. So mm-hmm. how is it going to implode? Like, is it? Can you actually con- conceive of a way? Are there going to be roaming bands of tomato bandits going <laughs> town to town, taking tomatoes and selling them for drug money? Is that what we're what we're going to talk about? I, um, I, I'm. I really believe that there's large amount of community leaders watching the program because i see them on my facebook i see i see mayors i see city officials from all the surrounding areas and now all over the state since we spoke at the the michigan downtown association waiting for some of those outlandish ideas to come through the even if it's not the outlandish ideas they're waiting for the mess they're waiting for the problem oh there's the negative and they just haven't had one yet and so it's just one of those things. When I thought about food waste, it just reinforced our need to leave the food on the vine. People can pick it when they need it, to have it grown right in their front yard, even even without them having to do the work. The If I want food waste to be reduced, not only do I have to do it and I have to monitor mine, but I need to create an environment to where food waste is not a thing. You know, I'm proud that our local coffee shop stomping grounds now saves all their eggshells from their breakfast uh menu for us they save all their coffee grounds for okay, us I was, I was waiting for you to say that because i was gonna be like why are they saving coffee grounds but they are. <laughs> so then we can mix it into the soil they're helping regenerate the grounds that we use and at the more and more that kind of stuff happens the better and better it will be. And people will be able to walk out, pick something they're going to put in their meal today. And it stays on the vine till they need it. And our goal is to have so much on the vine, it's always available. I think that as long as the the program is, how do I word this? Um, Emphasized and focused on, and it stays fresh in everyone's mind every year. So people are actively going out looking for this stuff, picking it and enjoying it. Then, you know, that's great. But I do believe also that there should be a backup program that has a utilization, like has a way to, to take care of excess stuff that doesn't get eaten by the public in case that happens. I don't really know what that could be other than to save it and compost it to stick it back in the soil. But that would be that that could be a way that I think that the program has the potential to fall short is that once the new wears off, um, people might just go back to their daily lives. And when that happens, it might be two or three years. Maybe it's, let's say it's three seasons down the road. You got five or 600 pounds of food that's just sitting there dying and, and going bad. That would be a shame. That'd be heartbreaking. There's no reason for that to happen. But in case it did, we'd have to find a way to utilize it. Whether it be that Mike has got to open a pizza shop, all those tomatoes, you got to make some tomato sauce. I don't know, but uh, we'll figure it out. Now, remember year one, I worried about that. So there is a church on the south side of town that has a share stand where they grow fruits and vegetables for the church and the extra goes on that stand. People have for a couple of years now brought their extras, put them there and grab things they didn't grow. Mm -hmm. Our plan was if we get to a point where there's too much fruit, 
then we'll start putting it there because that's a whole second whole separate segment of society in our town that goes to that we would then take it there then if there's too much for that there's another one in bancroft which is a neighboring town we would take some there we would offer it to the schools but we never had that problem people were picking the moment it was ripe a lot of times the plants were bare of fresh fruits and vegetables mm -hmm. because by the time it ripened it was gone there was a lot of times at the restaurant uh union station smokehouse who was very excited to have a garden in their front yard would scope out a few things like that's going to be tomorrow's dish and then they would come into the morning and they're stripped clean of all of it. People had already gotten it. So our goal is to up the ante a little bit. Let's let's raise the bar on the amount so that these restaurants can use it more so that there isn't a run out. I, we, there was a Facebook post of, I, I walked around the whole neighborhood and couldn't get a cucumber today. I don't want that. I want you them getting their cucumber. At risk of um, doing a deal with the devil. I think, I honestly believe that this season, when you guys get into the full swing of it and you have lots of stuff that's ripe, you should have someone, possibly yourself, but someone that picks a big basket of it and goes around to the places that you and I don't like to frequent and solicits your fruits and vegetables to those restaurants. And even though I don't like those places, the community has got to be bursting with beautiful produce. It could help their food. So, and while I don't like really want to help those businesses i do want to help them produce better food for the public since they do have a large following of people that go there so i do think you should like you know turn into like a crack dealer for tomatoes but come on man you want to fix you want, you want the tomato right here man it's so good um i do though i think that you should examine I mean, union union's great and and they're going to utilize everything they can because you're cutting their food costs but really that should be every business owner's mentality like honestly if they were smart at Riverside, they would go pick the stuff and sell it in their store. Like it's free. You know, it, it is what it is. And we want, we want the people who want it to enjoy it. I know that we have neighboring citizens from neighboring towns coming in every once in a while trying to pick. And I encourage it. And I even encourage the good restaurants all in the area. If you need produce, it's free. We'll just keep growing it, you know? So anyways, I know this went from let's talk about food waste to just having a general food waste discussion, but I, I like having these conversations and it, who better to have it with than our food guru. <laughs> food guru? I don't know about <laughs> all that, but I certainly like to eat and I like to cook. So I'll take it. Excellent. Excellent. Well, thank you all for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did share it on social media or with a friend, you can also support realistic sustainability by going on our anchor hosting site or greetingyourlife.org forward slash podcast and becoming a monthly sustainer. Thank you for those who do, and you can do it for less than a dollar a month. That's $12 a year. And it helps us out quite a bit. And if you can't, that's okay. Just leave a five-star review, leave a comment, send a like, you know, send us an email, follow the show, click that follow button, anything that can help the algorithm know that you're listening. We do greatly appreciate it. And remember, we really just sit down to have these conversations so we can get a little better each day. A little bit, a little bit. Well, it ends up being a big bit. Thanks for listening. I'm Mike. And I'm Nick. And we will see you next week.
What's going on, everybody? My name is Rob, and I'm the host of The Curated Culture, a weekly podcast dedicated to dissecting the latest and greatest news from around the world of tech and pop culture. Now, we all know the internet can be a busy, noisy place, so let us calm that noise for you. Join us as we discuss the latest and greatest topics from the people and sources that matter most. Check us out every Thursday as we jump into fresh, original content, new interviews, and a host of other subjects that we know you'll find interesting. So jump in whatever your favorite podcast app is and search The Curated Culture. Make sure you subscribe to the show so you don't miss an episode. And in the meantime, we'll catch y'all on the air.